Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm Billy. Billy. Where's Agnes? Oh, Billy. Cunt. <laughs> Billy. And this week we're doing uh, Black Christmas, which is the 1974 film by director Bob Clark. Uh, it's a movie that has that is now going to be rebooted for the second time uh, this this winter. Originally rebooted in 2006, and now getting a second remake. And I think you made the joke offline that pretty soon this series is going to become like Spider-Man, where they just reboot it every ten years. I know the character of Jess is going to soon be played by Andrew Garfield, and then played by <laughs> Tom Holland. <laughs> Well, the funny thing about it is that every remake of this movie has kind of been approaching it from a different angle. Yeah. I mean, this one, based on the commercials for the 2019 Black Christmas, looks like there's going to be a weird, like, what is it, Skull and Bones, like, cult angle to it? Yeah. Where there's, like, men in robes and the girls are getting kidnapped. I don't know. It's a PG-13 horror movie. How much... You know, my, my my interest for it is very meh. But, the cool thing about that trailer is that it reminded me, wait a minute, there's a good one that people love. So, let's watch that one and review it. Well, the funny thing about this movie is I'm not sure how many people actually know about it. Um, it is a movie that I discovered uh, for the first time really only ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Another podcast that I was listening to a long time ago, like that is where I even got the idea to watch this movie for the first time. And the second time I heard about this movie was uh, the Halloween franchise. They had a documentary uh, that came out called 25 Years of Terror, which is the 20. It was like a DVD that accompanied the 25th uh, anniversary Halloween convention that they had. Um,. And in that documentary, you know, they had interviews by Rob Zombie, like, uh, just celebrities, right? I think James Gunn might have even been one of the guys who was interviewed in it. Wouldn't be surprised. Um, but one of the things that they talk about is how, like, you know, the original holiday horror movie was the 1974 Black Christmas by director Bob Clark. The funny thing about this guy, <laughs> and I think we're going to talk about it in the movie itself... His movie, like, direct, like, the, the choices that he's made in terms of movies to direct <laughs> have gone through, like, the weirdest changes. Because this guy not only directed Black Christmas, but he also directed the other Christmas movie, A Christmas uh, Story, I think? Yep, he directed A Christmas Story. Oh, wait, I had a whole list of things <laughs> that he directed. Um, among other things, he also did a film called Karate Dog, which is a TV movie. Which apparently Pat Marina like also starred in before his death. So his fucking like filmography is a weird fever dream of just shit that you didn't think would be made by the same guy. Because he did Porky's. I, and I watched Porky's and I don't think it's as great <laughs> as people think it is. <laughs> it's kind of stupid actually. <laughs> I don't know. So the real reason why I kept laughing about Porky's is because I wanted to finally save a joke for the episode. Is that there's an adult actress named Natalie Porkman. <laughs> You're trying so hard not to laugh at Porkman. <laughs> your laughter Stop is acting like me... you're better than me because no, of you, this. Your laughter is making me laugh. <laughs> he did Baby Geniuses and Super Babies, Baby Geniuses too. <laughs> he did I'll Remember April, Loose Cannons. Why do I remember that? Don't uh, know. It all sound like it was a Gene Hackman and Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> what? <laughs> Dan Aykroyd is a uh, I don't know. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd is a very interesting character. He's highly hit or miss. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so this movie is, I guess it was filmed in, is a Canada, is, is a Canada production. This is a Canadian movie, yes. Yeah. Um, Fucking Canex making... <laughs> the people, there are people in this movie that star in this movie that I recognize as well. Uh, one of the house, I mean, one of the older girls in the house, Phyllis, uh, was in, <laughs> is in my Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, Margot Kidder's in this Margo movie? Margot Kidder, who... I, you know, like, right now, I'm watching Crisis on Infinite Earths on CW, that big DC movie crossover event, and they have, like, all these different versions of Lois Lane that appear in it. I'm sorry, but for me, 
like and even now that we've had Amy Adams, like the the only person I think of when I think of Lois Lane, besides uh, Dana Delaney, like uh, animated Superman series, it's Margot Kidder that I think about specifically Margot Kidder in the nineteen seventy eight Superman movie. Okay, boomer. <laughs> and this is four years before she was uh, Lois Lane, but funny enough. She just basically plays drunk Lois Lane the entire movie. <laughs> and that is fucking rad. <laughs> um, Let's see. Then Olivia Hussey. I, I do <laughs> I do know because when I was like in school, they always made you watch like that Romeo and Juliet. Uh, uh, that's exactly the first credit I found of hers. Yeah. The other credit I have is she was in the miniseries uh, Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> She's also in the It miniseries as well. Where she plays uh, Bill Denbro's wife. She was also <clears throat> in Psycho for the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And she's was a shit ton of... Apparently she was a voice actress in a lot of the Star Wars video games. That included War- Rogue Squadron, Force Commander, and The Old Republic. She played Topanga's aunt on Boy Meets World also. Oh, fucking sick. <laughs> but anyway... Um, so I know who these actresses are, more or less. I've seen them in stuff. So it makes it, when, especially when you're going back to watch a movie that's like really unknown and not that, you know, not that popular, you know, it is good to go back and see people that you would recognize. So another person of note that I don't know what exactly he was been, oh wait, no, I'm lying. He was in the Space Odyssey. Uh, Kier Dulia? Dulia? Well, I don't know. I know John Saxon because the, he was the dad in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. The only reason I bring up Kier, Kier, oh my god, I'm gonna, I fucking don't know how to pronounce his name. So, the only reason Kier uh, was even of any sort of importance in this is that apparently he only took the role of Jess's boyfriend because, like, originally they had written him to be the, the, like, they had written for him specifically to take the role. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he took it was because filming took place really close to his parents' house. And it was during the... Since filming... You know, they were filming a holiday movie during the holidays. They were like, oh, hey. I might as well do this movie, make money, and then go see mom and dad. <laughs> However, apparent, I don't know if he was a huge deal in the 60s and 70s. And you and I are just too stupid to know how important he is to Hollywood. But that was a thing. Yeah, so, alright, well let's go ahead and get into the movie. The movie itself starts with the, an awesome uh, retro title card that says Black Christmas. Uh, and Black you hear, Christmas, and you hear like, I gave you my heart. <laughs> <laughs> alright. Oh, uh, alright, go ahead and continue <laughs> It starts off, you know, like with the Christmas carols that are done by like choirs and stuff like that. It is very Christmas. It's got snow. You open up with this big sorority house, and that mm-hmm. is where this movie takes place. Oh, but, right off the bat, you know, you got a fucking the you got the POV shot of this like psycho. Yes, climbing up. This is the first movie that does that. Mm-hmm. Halloween will later do it, but Halloween does it in such a different style, like style, like. The John Carpenter, like, opening POV shot feels a lot more, how do I put it? It feels a lot more elegant. Yep. And definitely, like, something that a, that a UCLA film student would put together for a film. This one, you know what it looks more like when I see it? Like, like an actual crazy person <laughs> fucking climbing into people's no, houses? I was actually having, like, flashbacks to, like, playing Goldeneye, like, on N64 when I was watching this. Or, like, the 007 games for PS2. Like, Agent Under Fire when you were in those snow levels. Like, that is exactly what it feels like when the camera is, like, moving with the guy's head as he's walking. What it fucking reminded me of was just very, like... You know those first person found footage were like shaky cam videos? That's what it reminded me of, but less, you know, crazy and wild. Yeah. So this starts off with the person walking up to the front door, and then they walk to the side, and they climb up 
some sort of wooden. I mean, I've seen these things as like decorations on house. I guess it's for like vines or whatever. With all due respect, that's some white people shit. Yeah, because I've never seen one <laughs> of these. There's some stuff I will never understand. But he climbs up. He's able to climb up the wall of his house, and he's able to sneak into the attic of this home, and uh, that is where he will be for the entire film. So right off the bat, me being a very knowledgeable of true crime and not completely obsessed with serial killers or anything like that. <laughs> right off the bat, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, this was made before Ted Bundy became a thing. <laughs> and coincidentally, this actually started right before, uh, or I mean, this movie was filmed and released right before Ted Bundy became active. But fun fact about this movie um, this was originally supposed to be, I forgot what TV network's, like, Saturday Night Movie of the Week, right? Nice. Back in 1978. You know uh, what? TV, the, TV, yeah, TV movies, movies used to do that. TV movies are, are, are underrated in terms of, like, how good they can be. And TV horror is, uh, can be very underrated, especially from, like, the 70s. Well, no, it wasn't in the... This was this movie had a theatrical release and everything, but I forgot which um, TV channel they were... They were, they, they were going to make this the big deal, right? Because mm-hmm. the thing is, you didn't have home video back in Yeah, you'd back have in to the watch 70s. it on television. And then you didn't record it. You had If you missed it on Saturday and at the movies, you missed it all together. So... Black Christmas was set to be, I want to say like NBC, I'm sure someone will correct me. Um, it was one of those big channels, like first big movies of the week, and they were making a big deal out about about it. But then they had to pull it because, as it turns out, there in 1978, there was a sorority house in Florida State that was attacked, where hmm. three girls were killed in like a matter of 15 minutes. Okay. And so they delayed it. How did that? Only to find out, like the week after, that that was actually when Ted Bundy went into berserker mode. Oh, gotcha. So (laughs) it was one of those like creepy coincidences where this movie was almost played the same week that, um, you know, on a national level, (laughs) the same week Ted Bundy fucking went psycho it's fucking terrifying it's like it watching it's like watching a movie it's like the thing that they did on the news when zodiac was coming out out here in the bay area and i think mm-hmm. we talked about it in our zodiac episode where people were like oh they never caught the zodiac killer so he could be out there in any of the screenings oh of this god movie. this 90 year old man could kill us all right now <laughs> but what's crazy is that as that happened right this movie very much is a very product of its time in the sense that people didn't fucking lock their doors or windows back in those days. People opened their doors very willingly. Like, you know, we'll get to it, but there's that scene where, like, as Jess is being, like, they, they're dealing with these creepy phone calls that keep coming in. You know, The phone calls. She me. openly opens the door to random strangers. Like, hello, strangers, come on in. The phone calls uh, very much sound like, Something out of The Exorcist, right? Very much so, yeah. <laughs> like, it is, it's 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 funny, and it's creepy at the same time. It and makes then, you uncomfortable, but you laugh uncomfortably to and, it. And then you get Margot Kidder that just, like, comes in and, like, brings her sass and brass, like, to the phone call. and <laughs> That sassy, brassy reporter pooter. <laughs> um... And, you know, it's, 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 I guess it's one of those things that's happening in conjunction with this. What's funny about it is that you don't question it, like, when you're watching it with modern eyes. I don't understand if the phone calls are related to the serial killer at all. Because, I mean, I know there's later calls where they do, where something does happen, and we'll get into it there. But it doesn't make sense to me how this guy who's in the attic can make phone calls to downstairs from the attic. It's one of those things the movie's just like suspend disbelief for a little bit. This movie is a it it is a mystery, much like when we covered Scream, except the main difference between this film and Scream is that the mystery is not gonna be solved in this movie. At all. Yeah. Very much like uh, the the town that feared sundown, you know? Like, you never find out who the killer is. Same thing with Zodiac, right? Um, but yeah, going back to what you were saying, we get introduced to our main character, Jess. For all intents and purposes, if this is a proto-slasher film... She's this is the final our, girl. Yeah, our proto-final girl. Um, she's at a sorority house. She's a part of this sorority. 
and they're having this party where all the all you know there's all these uh, I don't know if they're frat guys. Yeah, I think they're they're fraternity guys, and yeah. one of them is dating Claire, who's one of the girls that like lives in this house. And then there, and then Jess has a boyfriend too, who's a very sensitive musician by the name of Peter. <laughs> yeah, a tortured, sensitive <laughs> musician type. Right off the bat, I'm just like, oh fuck, all the way off. This guy's annoying as shit. <laughs> you know what this actually reminds me of? Like, in, I, I'm sorry, I watched a lot of Nick at Night growing up. The original Nick at Night, where they would show all these old sitcoms from the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the shows that they had was Facts of Life. Facts of Life, which starred, uh, you know, the the character of Mrs. Garrett, who was, like, she was originally the nanny in Different Strokes. Mm-hmm. And she, like, ends up becoming the, like, house mom for a sorority house in The Facts <laughs> of Life. And I swear to God, the house mom it, in this yeah. movie is exactly the same as Mrs. Garrett from The Facts of Life. And, you know, instantly, this movie is... The one thing about it that I will say is it's got a really uneven tone to it. Yeah. There's parts of this movie where it's clearly going for ridiculous comedy. And then there's other parts of it where it's like... It's it's actually very creepy. Any part involving the house mom, who's Miss McHenry... Miss Mac, they call her. I thought was hilarious. I thought she was a hilarious character. And I was like... Did you, though? Because yes. I just cringed at how, like, bad it was. Yeah, that's why. Because I, <laughs> I liked it because it reminded me of old sitcom cringe, which makes me laugh. Yeah, but there was nothing in... I'll put it to you this way. This similar character is in Facts of Life, and the Facts of Life character does not do anything nearly as ridiculous as hiding her, her alcohol in a Bible that well, she cuts open like she's in fucking prison. You see, <laughs> the problem, Angel, is you weren't a fraternity person like myself, and you did not have a butler that would get into all kinds of crazy hygiene. Excuse me? I wish. Man, I wish I had a butler when I was in my fucking She's fraternity. not a butler, though. But whatever she is, okay? <laughs> Um, so this killer ends up uh, hunting down his first victim, who is Claire. Yeah. Well, after the phone call, it's really important. Like the yeah. Like we already went over the phone call. Well, one thing I wanted to mention about the phone call is the guy that did. Shut up! I will fight you on (laughs) mic again. (laughs) What was it? But one thing about the phone call that was really interesting is actually the guy that um, the voice actor did the did the phone call for Billy. I think he's called. They call him Billy. He the way he got his voice was he stood or he had to do handstands for like ten minutes to make his voice raspy and have his like diaphragm like lower and that's how he was able to do the voice whenever he would call. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the 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 stuff we hear as the audience is completely different than what actually was said to to the actresses when they would answer the call. So they were just doing like line readings. Um, which was kind of tame compared to the calls, because like I alluded earlier, you know, they use very colorful language, such as the word cunt, like, which we have so many hangups using in this country, <laughs> which actually caught me off guard when, when they said that. I was like, oh shit, people could say that in the 70s? But, um, yeah, the phone calls, like you were saying, they're just super creepy. Um, and it's like... No matter what day and age it is, especially right now when, you know, we're used to robocalls and all kinds of weirdness, fucking creepy phone calls will never, like, cease to be one of my un- uncontrolled fears, you know? Well, no one answers phone calls anymore. Let's be honest. I, like, any yeah, phone call... Yeah, I never answer phone <laughs> I mean, calls out of sheer loneliness. I mean, good luck to you, but, like, anytime I see a phone number that I don't recognize, like, I assume that it's, like, if it's important, they'll leave me a message. Yeah, but you know what? Strangers are just friends we haven't made yet, and that's why I make it a point to answer all phone calls. Oh, yeah? Well, wait until a fucking stranger comes into your sorority house. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> Not the 28-year-old man living with the sorority girls for some reason. (laughs) They're coming after him. The death of Claire I actually found very, like, it's interesting. It's a memorable kill, and it's creepy. Why are you, like, smiling when you say that? (laughs) No, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that, like... Your eyes are, like, glazing over, like, (laughs) you're happy about it. When I first saw it, like, I was shocked by it, right? 
And he got me off guard. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, like you expect a slasher movie, you expect it to be knife deaths. Nothing like but slashing. knife deaths. slashing, yeah. And uh, it's easy to forget that Halloween is really what started the killer with a knife trend. Mm-hmm. This one, it's like this guy. like Oh, he... technically psycho, but. Sure, yeah. I guess Halloween brought it to the mainstream. But right. yeah, like this was, it was a violent, non-violent, not gory death. It was a very violent, non-gory death. It's very... It, this is the same year that Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out, right? Mm-hmm. There was the death in that film where uh, one of the characters gets put on a, on like meat hooks. Yeah. And it's like... that. That's what I mean. It's like... It, it is It is interesting to see how they kind of get around these things. Where, like you said, it's not gory, but it's brutal. Mm-hmm. And it, you know what? This movie does the same trope where it cuts away from any violent act last possible minute, which leaves it up to your imagination... Which is what makes this even creepier, you know? Mm-hmm. Because she gets ends up getting getting asphyxiated, right? Like he uses like a piece of plastic or a bag and just like puts it over her head and like suffocates her. Mm-hmm. And there's just the visceral fear that we have of I don't know. Of all the deaths, I feel like suffocation is probably one of the worst. And you do feel bad for Claire, too, because her character is kind of bullied by Margot Kidder's character in the opening scene of this movie. Yeah, that's your Lois Lane, by the way. Well, my Lois Lane was clearly drunk and, like... (laughs) Are you making excuses for your Lois Lane? (laughs) She was taking out her drunk frustrations by bullying her housemate. Yeah, you dumb bitch. Go cry. (laughs) I'm assuming that's what she thought anyway. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so that's what forces Claire to go upstairs and pack. And, you know, this is before Christmas. So uh, there are several people in this group who are going to be going away for the holidays. Several people of this young, nubile, supple group of sorority girls. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to segue into talking about how the frat guys all look like they're in their fucking 40s. Hanging out with, like, 19, 20-year-old girls. Well, most of the girls actually look older than they're supposed to be. Uh, I mean, the youngest... Margot is... Kidder looks like she's in her mid-30s. No, she doesn't. And that's the alcohol <laughs> talking. <laughs> um, Olivia Hussey was... Hot? I mean... I mean she's, yeah, she was attractive, for sure. She's the most attractive woman in this house, for sure. And she's like, what, 24 or 25 at the time of filming this? It's hard to... I mean, it's easy to forget that in Romeo and Juliet, like, that movie's from the 60s. Like, this is a decade earlier that she was playing, like, Juliet, and now, like, she looks very young. They made me watch the DiCaprio one, so. <laughs> they made me watch that, and kind of a, alright, just going on a quick tangent. The My experience with Shakespeare movies were the, the Lawrence Fishburne Othello, and then the Mackay Pfeiffer vehicle O. Yeah, I like the O. I actually like that. One of us like the O. Oh, we should fucking... Re- I can't wait till Do We Like Shakespeare coming Oh, fuck all the way off. <laughs> I didn't watch... You know what? I didn't do anything with Shakespeare fucking 15 years ago. I'm not going to start now. <laughs> oh, I write words good. Fuck off. Uh, so the death of Claire happens, and let's be totally honest. Everyone hates Claire. Because... Jeez. Nobody che- nobody checks in on her. No one gives a fuck. <laughs> no one gives a flying rat's ass where she is. She disappears for essentially 24 hours and no one gives a shit. No one even thinks to check her room. I love oh how much the God. police don't give a shit either. Oh, these, these fucking cops are fucking terrible. They're the worst than the hot dog squad that investigated fucking Casey. <laughs> um, and so after the death, uh, you go to the next day pretty much, right? Um, so, yeah, so she gets killed at night. The very next day, she misses an appointment meeting with her dad. Yes. And that's kind of... If it wasn't for that, <laughs> these girls would not give a fuck what happened to yeah. her. Her dad, who, like, looks like a 1970s, like, physics professor. <laughs> Trying to tell us not to shoot spaceships into black holes like a nerd. <laughs> but anyway, he meets him. He, he, you know, and normally he's... He's like, oh, my daughter's really good about meeting me, blah, blah, He's a really uptight butt plug. Oh, totally, because he ends up going to the sorority house to try to find her, and that's where he meets Miss Mac. 
and he's just like young women making choices well i never yeah and the everything they do whether it's the drinking or the partying or the sex just really he just does not not about it miss mag is too busy fucking getting fucking wasted at <laughs> three in the afternoon <laughs> She's fucking rad, dude. She turns up at every hour of the day. And it's unfortunate that, like, her and Margot Kidder's alcoholism are so overlooked in this film. Like, in a modern movie, those would probably be, like, side plots, at least. I know. There would be, like... There would be at least three interventions in this film. (laughs) But, yeah, like, you know... and, And it's weird because this is the jarring part that does... Like, it's the part that gets played for laughs... But it's also the part that doesn't fit with the rest of the film. Because the rest of the film is supposed to be like a mystery thriller. It's not even like Bob... Uh, shit, what's his last name? The director? Uh, Bob Clark. Yeah, Bob Clark doesn't even consider this really a slasher. Like, he wasn't really trying to make a horror film. He was trying to make like a mystery, a thriller, right? And suddenly you have this slapstick weird scene from like a Mel Brooks movie. Well, it's funny. You give you you look at the decor of the house and just the style. You mean of fucking the Animal movie. House? No, no, no. Like you know what it kind of reminds me of the like surroundings what? clue. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Game. And it is kind of like it does eventually get like that, but you know, so, like. Her, at least her father, you know, because it's his kid, has to give enough of a shit to look for Claire and, mm-hmm. and want to know where she is. Uh, meanwhile, we have this side plot of Jess, who's going to see her tortured artist boyfriend. Oh, I'm so sad. This is the fucking prototype to the douchebag playing Wonderwall on his guitar. <laughs> but he plays on his piano like a fucking Interestingly enough, turd. okay, so this movie has like 15 different plots that might as well be a television show. Which because... all lead to nothing, by the way. <laughs> right, because with Jess, Jess is... A pl- side plot in the story is that she's pregnant and she wants to get an abortion. And Peter, being the ultimate men's rights activist, was like, "What about my baby?" You know what's funny? I'll be totally honest, and I don't want to get into too much of a serious discussion on this. But ten years ago, when I was watching this movie, I agreed a lot with Peter. Now remember, if you guys want to hear more about how Angel and I have grown up, go check out our 500 Days of Summer review, where we talk exactly about how we were all Peters. <laughs> but now that, you know, I am an adult man who is also a parent and also has an understanding of women. I know where the clitoris is. <laughs> I understand that a woman's right is, you know, that anything that happens with a woman's body is her choice to make and no one else's. Don't tell Peter that. He was gonna he was he was about to force her to pop that baby out right there. It was there. pretty uncomfortable. Like Peter looked like if she wasn't gonna like if she was gonna board it, then he was gonna try to kill her anyway by shoving her down a flight of stairs. So <laughs> that's so fucked up. It, no, it's it's just <laughs> But it's true, that's the vibe just, I got. It's so weird. Like it's so weird how instantly these men become abusive in this film. <laughs> so right away we have the murder of a sorority girl, which is our horror plot. Suddenly we get a slapstick Mel Brooks comedy plot. With a conservative father who wants to keep his daughter virginal forever and meanwhile she's probably already like (laughs) you know schmackled her way all the way across you know metro (laughs) university i'm just i'm making up new terms for banging and we also have a roe versus wade like (laughs) (laughs) fucking kramer v kramer subplot where you got the you know the morality of abortion and shit <laughs> and it's like what the fuck is going on well it's it is pretty clear and let's be honest here because i think i think abortion was it was very much in the current like in terms of the 70s like where this movie is coming out it was kind of in the public consciousness and the other there was a big movie that came out in 74 that also like uses this as a subplot which is a little weirder cuz it takes place in the 40s and 50s but Godfather 2 Godfather 2 has an abortion like angle that happens in that movie Don't you I kill my son No Oh <laughs> I'm sorry for any of our Italian listeners <laughs> 
I need you to watch Godfather 2 now because of how ignorant that was. <laughs> of what? Like, ignorant of the Italian culture or ignorant of the movie? Ignorant of the Italian culture and ignorant of film culture as well. <laughs> and that's why I'm doing a movie podcast. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's just something that was in, in, I think it was just like in the pop lexicon of the time. But you know what's really interesting is that Bob Clark was not trying to make any social commentary or anything. These directors always say that they don't want to do that. John Carpenter says the same thing. I think you're just reading into it because you're looking at it from a lens of 2019. Like he even just said, I didn't want to do anything political. I was just telling him to fucking talk. I don't buy it. Super buy it. Directors say this all the time. Filmmakers say this all the time. But that's the the point. And when I talk about that art, that that like paper that I wrote in college, that I'll always keep referencing on this show. (laughs) Go read my shit. It's on our Patreon. (laughs) It's you take what exists in the world, and whether it's intentional or not, whatever you create on film mm. is kind of a snapshot of the time that you're living in. Well, that's why I I don't think he was trying to make any political statement. I think he was just like taking something that was in the zeitgeist, which I agree with. Yeah. I just don't think that directors should just accept when they do it though. Like they whether they whether it's intentional or not, it's so easy to say, yeah, but it was intentional. You know what? I'd but... rather them do this than do what JK Rowling did where she's trying to retroactively make fucking Harry Potter woke and it's not <laughs> it's about fucking witches and wizards it's, this goes against my Christian morals yes not yeah. in my Christian podcast <laughs> where I've already talked about fucking Satan yeah pre- I'm surprised I haven't said hail Satan at any point <laughs> oh god so in all of this craziness going on, there's a, there's a child? Do you remember what the kid's name is? No, but this is the like subplot of the girl that's murdered in the park, right? Yeah, so on top of the two subplots we just went over, there's now a third subplot. This script is labyrinthian. <laughs> so there's this... For no fucking reason. So for some reason, there's this girl that ends up getting kidnapped and murdered... And everyone assumes goes missing. So at this point, Claire, um, it was Claire, Margot Kidder's character, who I think her name is, crap, Uh, it's going to bug me because it's something really, Barb, there we go. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's uh yeah Barb is Margo Kidder's character. I, I'm sorry we haven't like mentioned her by name. <laughs> I know it's it's just one of those things. She's Margo Kidder. To us. <laughs> so it's like while all this craziness is going on, um, Barb, Mr. Harrison, uh, who is Claire's Claire's father, father Phyllis, and <laughs> Phyllis, <laughs> you might as well. <laughs> Phyllis Brown Dick. <laughs> Not on my Christian podcast. <laughs> when I was watching this movie, all I could think of is how filthy you are. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty terrible. <laughs> all right, so Mr. Harrison, Phyllis, Barb, and then Claire's boyfriend Chris, who Mr. Harrison does not approve of at all in his Christian chat. I'm pretty sure he doesn't approve of anybody like. Trying to get anywhere near his daughter. Women wearing pants? Well, I never. <laughs> so they end up going down to the police department to try to find out, hey, um, hey, what's, uh, you know, what, can we investigate this missing person? And the police officers respond You mean Sergeant to- Nash? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking top cop over here? <laughs> I like how these police, you know what, you know how these police officers react to this? Is that episode of The Simpsons where like Marge goes to the police department and says she wants to be a cop, and all the and all the Springfield uh, police department like laugh at her for like ten minutes, mm. <laughs> and then they say welcome aboard. Nash is fucking. I was about to say Mayor Quimby. <laughs> he is fucking Chief Wiggum like a motherfucker. <laughs> so they're like, oh, what you think you want us to inv- to investigate some broad? There's a little girl that went missing. I don't know what voice I was going for there. <laughs> But, you know, everything was generic. When all those fails, just go back to your uh, Ray impression from Star Wars. You mean my Oliver Twist impression? <laughs> 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 
But yeah, like, this generic Midwestern cop is just like, we're too busy dealing with this, uh, with this, what's it called, uh, missing girl. Which now I have her name, it was... Which all you see these motherfuckers do is, like... Janice Quaife. <laughs> all you see these motherfuckers do is, like, type on typewriters. And then, after they, after the our main characters leave the police station, a police officer shows up having been shot, right? By an old man with a gun. Oh shit! The, I forgot about that. The old guy with the shotgun. He was trespassing on my land. You shot him in the ass, and <laughs> and then the detectives respond by laughing. I was like, "What the fuck is going on here?" This I was like, "This is fucking super trooper." Like we live in a world where people literally die in police custody, and this guy shot a police officer in the ass, and everyone's just laughing. It was so fucking weird, <laughs> dude. It's such a weird scene. The co- and the cops don't do fuck off anything until the little girl's mom comes in. He was like, "Hey, can we round up a posse?" <laughs> and the posse shows up to the park with guns. <laughs> Because nothing helps find little girls better than guns. It's like that discussion we had during Last Jedi about shooting yourself into a spaceship. It's like finding extreme measures for everything. It was so fucking weird. Let's go search with our guns. Oh yeah, I feel so safe with my guns. (laughs) Remember to shoot into the air when you find the girl. Alright, so this posse, this posse is like meeting up, right? I'm like fast forwarding and moving some stuff. Like, there's some shit. Yes, because that, so much happens in this movie. I mean, the only thing that no, despite the fact that it like jumps from plot point to plot point and starts all these ridiculous strands, mm-hmm. the movie flies by very fast. Oh, totally! Like, it's a quick hour forty, I think. Yeah. Um, the thing about it is this does what The Exorcist did, which I really liked in the sense that there's plot points going on. Like it implies there's stuff going on off screen, like the with the whole Lucy Quaif subplot of this missing little girl, because that nothing, none of the action involving this little girl really takes place until the very end on screen, right? And that's when they find out that she had been murdered. Mm-hmm. So they find her disfigured body. But in you know in between then they what they end up doing is uh, after the the. The search group. party. Yeah. They go back to the sorority house. Yeah, Barb gets drunk. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> oh no, Barb being drunk. That never happened. <laughs> that pillar of sobriety. She's never done this before. And then what the best part is she does the thing all drunk people do at one point. They just start calling everyone out. <laughs> she has those conversations that you obviously shouldn't have when you're drunk. This film is very has a very paints a very reductive picture of alcohol but also very accurate at the same time. It's like, how can something be so harmful yet so true? <laughs> so that finally Phyllis ends up putting her to bed. She's like, bitch, you've had enough. <laughs> Let me cut you off after you've already clearly been too drunk for like the entire day. Oh my God. Because she's like still drinking and talking shit when... When uh, one of when Claire's boyfriend, I think, who's Santa, right? Who is the Santa character? No, that was one of the other random frat guys that hangs out with them. I have no clue who he who is. Some of these guys are. They They're are just, these just these random really nondescript white frat guys who could be professors for all we know. <laughs> fucking stupping their teach or their students over here. But he's doing the uh, Santa Claus bit, and while he's doing it, at the same time, he's going ho 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 fuck. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh shit. It's just like these are all filthy like college kids. They are bad people. They are shit people doing shit things. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a, this fraternity is doing a uh they're doing they're supposed to be doing something for underprivileged kids. Meanwhile, this fucking asshole is just like cussing at him as Santa and drinking alcohol and then like Margot Gitter just drinking alcohol. And then that that's what I'm saying. Like she's been drinking all day and they finally just say, Alright, you've had enough and put her to bed. <laughs> it's been eighteen hours and you're drinking. We're done with it. So finally they put her to bed. After that, Chris gets a call or I think they end up getting a call from the police saying that they're gonna put together a search party to find this girl. You know, the shooting search party. <laughs> so they end up abandon or they end up leaving Barb with uh Miss Mac. Who, and this is where Miss Mac, the entire time she's been getting ready to leave for her sisters, 
uh, we actually get to, this is where she gets killed. And she gets killed using a, like, a winch hook? For some reason is in their, is up in their attic? Yes. I never had an attic. Like, I, we live in California. We don't have attics here. No, like, no, no, no. The closest thing you'd have is a tool shed. And even then, it's not big enough even, for anyone to walk inside of. And even then, all we have is a car hole. <laughs> <laughs> they call it a car hole. Oh, a garage. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's weird to have a tool winch. But, again, it's one of they pull back right before she ends up getting killed and you hear her scream. But it's one of those that it leaves the kill to your imagination because yes. this... So now it's Miss Mac and Claire that are both dead in the attic. Wow. I, oh, yeah. Actually, in the attic, yes, you're right. While the killer, like, sings Little Baby Bunting the entire time. It's so creepy. Like, the, the guy that did the voice for the killer is terrifying. And it was amazing. I loved it. That was one of my MVP favorite parts. of the movie, for sure. And then, you know, but here's the thing. If this guy has been in the attic the whole time, the logic part is, when did he fucking leave in, in what's it called, to, to go kill this little girl? Well, that's the thing. I don't, they, there's a chance that a lot of these strands aren't even related. Because there's a good portion of this movie where the movie is trying to give you the impression that Peter is the killer. And then that won't go anywhere either. Like, that's the thing. Spoiler alert for those who don't know. This movie ends and we never find out who the killer is. So Jess ends up coming home from the... She comes home uh, after talking to Peter about her abortion. And she's been gone for a while, right? But during this time, this is when she gets phone calls. And the phone calls keep getting progressively creepier and eerier. And they start involving more people. Originally, it just, the main caller was someone that the fan base is called Billy. And Billy was the one that was about his sister Agnes, right? And then suddenly there's a woman and there's a child involved and they start like just screaming, right? Okay, so after these phone calls, Jess ends up calling the cops who immediately sent an officer. So they have no time to look into the disappearance of Claire because she's a fucking bitch apparently. <laughs> But they have immediate time to send a, a lieutenant, a police lieutenant, for some fucking reason, to look into these harassing phone calls. I would like to believe this police department just has a harassing phone call division. <laughs> and this is their time to shine. So he shows up. Well, first, Peter comes back to the house in a angry, emotional, like, artist guy rage. Talking about how he wants to marry Jess and that's his child and he has no right to kill her baby. And again, just in general, being a really just cringy guy, with at least by 2019 standards, right? So when he ends up leaving all emotionally and flustered again, which I would love if it would have happened like in Scary Movie 2. He just runs out like Anna Ferris. Ah! <laughs> he might as well have. I know. With and how much of a little baby back bitch he was being. <laughs> so then we get introduced Lieutenant Kenneth Fuller, the super cop that actually cares about what's happening to the girls, these young, nubile, oh. 18-year-old girls. Why, why does it always sound horrifying? You know you referred to Luke Skywalker as nubile in a previous Star Wars episode? You thought that was on accident? No. <laughs> I'm an equal opportunity perv. <laughs> So, he sets up this Bugs, and essentially the plan is they need this guy to call again so that Jess can keep him on the line long enough for them to find out where these phone calls are calling from, are yes. coming from, right? So, we get a solid, like, 15 minutes of random bullshit that happens to her around the house, which includes a fucking choir, like, of kids <laughs> coming. yes. And, and then the kids have to be taken away because of a curfew, apparently, after the murder of this girl. And meanwhile, the, while the fucking choir children is singing... And then Peter... like <laughs> It was like, like the Peter thing happened, the police show up, like all these things happen. Yes! Like, 
at the same time. At some point, fucking Peter goes back to the music hall and smashes his piano, which belongs to the school. It's literally like if you like if you woke up from a dream and decided to just stream of consciousness, start writing down the story. It's this is you you fucking rail a line of coke, <laughs> and while you're all hopped up, you just get as much as you can written down in ten minutes. <laughs> and that's how this movie fucking happened. Because all the while, the kids are singing to Jess. Fucking Margot Kidder's getting murdered with like a glass unicorn thing. Which is pretty neat. I think that's a pretty interesting death <laughs> that she gets. It's just hell funny because it's like one of those shots where her face is like superimposed. <laughs> as like the hand is coming down with the unicorn it just it's a weird shot interesting use of a random ornament. it looks like the opening credits to a james bond movie you know yeah <laughs> that's and she's just like uh, uh, uh. and apparently nobody hears this cold-blooded murder take place over the sound of these angelic children <laughs> So, like you said, they end up getting whisked away by the adult chaperones because someone found the body of the little girl. Yeah. And then, eventually, her friends actually come back, right? Well, Mr. Harrison and Chris stay behind with the Phil rest of the group. Phil comes back. Yeah, right? Yeah. Because Phyllis isn't dead yet. No, she's not dead yet. So, she comes back because the other two are still at the search party trying to find Claire. Uh, up until now, people think Claire is, might still be alive. And then... <laughs> This is, again, what's weird. Like, this fucking posse is just walking around the backyard of the sorority house. And they knock on the door and be like, hey, have you seen a little girl? <laughs> just, again, walking around with shotguns in the middle of the night. And I'm just like, okay, so I didn't grow up in a place where posses were a thing. And where people just were looking for a reason to grab their guns and go on mob vigilante justice. Because if we did grow up around there, that would be cool and that would be a part of one every dance I got. But it was just so fucking weird. Like, these guys are just walking around in people's backyards being like, have you seen a little girl? <laughs> and then she gets killed while all these phone calls are going on. So someone keeps calling the house. Jess ends up, um, you know, trying to keep the, the caller on the line for as long as she can. Meanwhile, Phyllis ends up Going to go check on uh, on Barb, and she gets off off screen. You know we don't see that. And each time, the the cops are trying to zero in on which phone box the calls are coming from. It, you know they she manages to keep the guy on the line a little bit longer each time, each time, right? Until finally they get a hit and they find out. That well, the she gets a phone call from the <clears throat> from the stalker, and then she gets a phone call from. Her boyfriend Peter, and then she gets That's a phone right. call. That's right. I forgot about stock. that. Like it's just all there's this a shit, shit ton of phone calls in like seven minutes. <clears throat> yeah. And then that that's when Peter. And that's when the lieutenant gets suspicious because the Peter phone call is where he's. Is it's essentially what makes her have to reveal that she's pregnant and gonna have an abortion. And then he's like, "Listen, listen here, broad. I don't know how they talked in the seventies. He's like, listen here, cake, whatever." I don't give a shit about your women's liberation. I'm trying to catch this guy. <laughs> and he immediately assumes it's Peter. Because Peter's the one crying about... Um, about, like, the abortion and not killing his child. And his... Of course, this police officer notices what everyone else should. And that's that Peter is also threatening her. <laughs> you know what? Again, you know, 90% of the time in these situations, the husband did it. The significant others involved. Like, that... The, 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 I can save these cops a lot of time just by saying that. So eventually they get a hit for where these calls are coming from. And we find out that the phone calls are coming from inside the house. <laughs> so the lieutenant um, ends up, he, he tells the, he's going to go, he's going to get to the house as fast as he can. Because he went to go investigate where Peter was. And he finds the destroyed piano. So immediately... The guy he thinks it is, is he thinks it's Peter. When he gets a phone call from the phone company, which for some reason the phone company is also involved in this investigation, <laughs> he gets a call from the phone company saying that the calls are calling from the actual address. Which is like just the classic, like, 
urban I mean, legend girl alone in the house trope. <laughs> which, funny enough, this is supposedly based on a true story. That this took place in, I think, in Alberta. I don't know where Alberta is, so I'm not going to pretend. Mm. But um, what ends up happening was the lieutenant calls Sergeant Nash and explicitly tells her, tells him, call the girl... <laughs> Don't tell her where the phone calls are coming from and tell her to get out of the house. Um, he goes, I'm on my way. I'm five minutes away. And Sergeant Nash is like, okay, boss, you can count on me. <laughs> and what does he do? He immediately fucks up the one direction he calls or he has. And he calls Jess and tells her to get out of the house. She says, I want to go get my friends. And instead of calming her down and being like, no... Jess, it's really important that you listen to what I say and I need you to leave the house now. Well, he says that first. <laughs> yeah, but he does it by yelling at her. He also does it very aggressively. I need still... you to leave the house right now! <laughs> so he, when she asks why, he immediately tells her, Oh, it's because the calls are coming from inside the house. So right off the bat, he fucks up his job. The cop outside that's been standing guard this whole night... Useless. You find out he's been killed, and that's why he's useless. So, suddenly, it starts this cat and mouse game between uh, the killer and Jess. Which takes them from... <clears throat> takes her running all over the all over the house. Yes. And, and you, you get the iconic scene where, once uh, she like looks in the room where Barb and uh, Phyllis are both dead... She looks through the crack in the door, and that's where she sees the killer's eyes, like, wide open, staring at her. You know, I've seen that very same look in your eyes. <laughs> and it's kind of, it, like, I didn't want to mention anything, like, it terrifies me, but it's like, there's this soulless look. Like, right now, I feel like I'm staring into shark's eyes. Don't do that, that's creepy! <laughs> <laughs> so, and then the scene of her, like, screaming in the house, please answer me, please answer me, is, again, iconic. It's the clip that they use in that Halloween documentary, mm-hmm. they, that, like, I said, wow, this movie looks good, I want to watch it. Oh, <laughs> we watched it alright. <laughs> so then uh, she ends up being chased throughout the house, mm-hmm. and the, the final confrontation takes place in the basement. Where she grabs what did she, she grabs something as a weapon to fight back? It's uh like one of those big pipe wrenches. Yeah, and then or a crowbar, I think. And then she manages to lock the door behind her, and she locks herself in the basement. When she hears Peter calling out to her, so Peter is like slowly getting closer, and to actually get in, he smashes the window in. Which <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so okay. this. So this movie is going to posit that she kills Peter and Peter's not the killer. But that, regardless, uh, if Peter is getting if Peter's way of getting in to talk to Jess is breaking the window, <laughs> Jess, I want you to hear my new song, please smash. I have high concerns of him anyway, and he's probably honestly, better off dead. Honestly, he probably had it coming anyway. <laughs> so he ends up smashing the window and he's like, "What are you going to do? Hit me?" And she did. Well, okay, he doesn't say that. I would have loved if that happened. But it implies that she beats him to death. And then right as the lieutenant shows up, he hears a blood-curdling scream. And, you know, runs through the house, makes his way downstairs and finds a, like, fainted Jess in the corner. And then Peter's, like, bloody beaten body on the ground. So the film cuts to a bunch of officers upstairs. They end up taking Jess upstairs to her room. Upstairs to her room in the house where a killer was. They don't search the attic where there are bodies. So no one has found the bodies yet. Again, this movie ends and still no one gives a flying fucking shit out of someone's ass about Claire who is still dead upstairs. Miss Mac is dead. The little girl's dead. No, no, no. It gets better because they get Phyllis a doctor that de- comes to see her. They get the bodies out, and then all the police officers decide to leave the house in unison. They're like, "Good job, boys." They're, the only thing that would be worse is they're high fiving on the way out, playing grab ass or some shit. And then immediately it cuts to the attic where the killer still is. Humming little baby bunting again, and that is the end of the movie. And it's meant to end in a very cliffhanger, 
ambiguous note. Um, there was, I mean, there was another planned ending. There was supposed to be like a happy ending where they actually do kill the killer. But Bob Clark insisted on having this ending for his magnum opus. I mean, this, the, the, what the cops do is awful, stupid, and ridiculous. But I like the ending. I do like the fact that the movie ends with mystery. Yeah. Nothing gets resolved. Um, it just ends a it mystery. It just ends. It ends in mystery in a fucking incompetent way. <laughs> but it ends in mystery due to incompetence. But it's fine. And it makes it a movie that I almost every, not every December, but every once in a while in the Christmas holiday, I will go back to this movie and watch it again. I'll tell you right now, I'm going to fucking rent this shit for $4 <laughs> the way I did. <laughs> so, um, one, another thing I forgot to bring up at the beginning is, interesting fact this movie was originally supposed to be called silent night deadly night and it actually i think did get released by that name for a week and people thought the name was so fucking stupid (laughs) well lucky for them silent night deadly night would come out in the 80s yeah and it would spawn like four sequels (laughs) but the whole reason they wanted to avoid black christmas is because they were afraid that black christmas would would make people think it's too much of a black exploitation movie and so that's why they went with Silent Night. It was either Deadly Night or Terror Night or some some stupid shit, right? Mm. Um, but they ended up changing the name to Black Christmas, where it did much better on a wider release. Yeah, it's definitely it's a reasonable title. You know? Although it makes you think, would this movie have been better if it truly was a black exploitation film? Well, interestingly enough, I think there's elements of black film that is actually going to be attached to the 2019 version of Black Christmas. Mm, is it don't trust white people? No, no, no. I mean, oh, okay. like, in that there are black characters in that film, and I have a feeling that it is going to kind of tongue-in-cheek, like, poke fun at the title in a way. <laughs> black cuckmas. <laughs> <laughs> and that is Black Christmas, everybody. So the only question that Angel and I can answer next is, do we like Black Christmas? Of course I do. I, I, uh, uh, I... I don't. I can't explain it. It's not that it's a movie that's so good. Halloween will take this idea and do it in a much better way. It's going to be a much more even tone. It's gonna. It's gonna be a lot more of a film classic than this. But I like this movie. I would have been excited to see it in the seventies. And there's just like a quality to seventies movies that makes them creepier than movies and that come out now, no matter what. The 70s was just a dirty decade. Everyone had like, syphilis. Film is dirty. And it like, looks dirty and <laughs> gross. Like, it literally, I appreciate the fact that it feels like the same kinds of young adults that you saw in Texas Chainsaw Massacre are the same kind of people that exist in this world in this movie. Yeah, if only we had... You know, if only we had the the wheelchair guy that just like started making fart noises at everyone every time they do something stupid. Well, we get the alcoholic mom who might as well be making fart noises the entire movie. She's just a fart noise in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Mac is fart noises. (laughs) I don't know. Like, uh, I, I wouldn't watch this movie again. I wouldn't go out of my way to watch this movie again. Like, I liked it. I liked it enough. I don't like it enough to watch it again. <laughs> like, it was one of those things, I, like, if you're a horror fan, and if you're a, especially if you're a slasher fan, fan, everyone should watch this movie if you consider yourself a horror fan. It's worth seeing to see the genesis of what, again, like I said, other movies are going to take this idea and do it in a much better way. Well, shit, when a stranger calls, goes and does it in a different way, you know? Yeah. Halloween does it in a better way. Fucking, there, there's, plenty of, there's plenty of horror movies that take this um, Primus and make it better. Mm-hmm. I think it's worthwhile to watch it because, like you said, it's the beginning. But honestly, because of the fucking fever dream that is like the 700 plot lines that lead to nothing. And, you know, I just, it's really hard to get into this movie. Yeah. Um, but definitely, like, it's worth a watch. Maybe. I'll watch it again, like, put it on the background, but I don't think I would ever, like, watch it to dissect it again. At least not, like, for this episode. So, uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of the show. Please uh, leave us a, you know, comment, rating on iTunes. Uh, Please continue to interact with us on social media. And if this is your first time listening to the show, 
go back and listen to our catalog of shows where we go over Halloween. Uh, we review other horror... We spent, spent the entire month of October and the first week of November doing horror movies. We have an ongoing Star Wars uh, series that's going on. And Which is almost gonna end. Yes. And we th- are almost done with our Do We Like Star Wars series, which is bringing up many emotions in the final week before the, the, the release of the film. Angel and I have gone through all five stages of grief <laughs> to our child that is Do We Like Star Wars. And, you know, we're ready to, we're ready for... It to grow up and yeah. move on with its life. <laughs> we're ready for Rise of Skywalker. We're ready for John Boyega and and Daisy Ridley and Oscar Isaac. To, oh, God, I almost forgot about all their names. <laughs> well, we're ready for them to move on and move on to other projects and do great as they've all said. They're, they're pretty much done with Star Wars after this. Um, and so will we be. <laughs> uh, so, uh, please continue to follow us on social media. Please continue to listen to older episodes of the show if you're interested. And, uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Oh yeah, follow me on all the bullshits. I'm on Instagram as Javi, hate, Javi Hates Things. Javi with the J. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Hateful Javi. Also Javi with the J. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to build a brand here, as you can see. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're looking forward to interacting with you guys more. Uh, yeah. All right. Talk to you guys next time. Later, turds.